Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible comic book movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. In the month of October, I, along with my super friends, will delve into the world of terrible comic book movies. Why did we do it? Well, because I made them, and I love these horrible movies. So if you've made a comic book movie on your phone, or done your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it our way. Now, what do you get when you mix Wesley Snipes, Dracula, and Deadpool? Why, you get the Marvel flick, Blade Trinity. everybody and welcome to another episode of the terrible terror podcast it is october and we are doing superhero horror movies and as i said in the last episode i really want to do it with some other friends i've got out there so friend number one why don't you introduce yourself hey this is andy from the black cat shadow podcast thank you so much andy for uh, being on with me this time and uh sitting through blade trinity with me <laughs> Yeah, no problem, man. I, I I actually really like this movie. It's it's a it's a ton of fun, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to going to talking about it. Yeah, this is one of those interesting things where you know, Blade Two is a really it, it, besides the end. I'm not a big fan of like the wrestling like final fight that they have at the end of Blade Two, but uh, that was like one of the first exposures for like Guillermo del Toro that I had. And I never really cared much for the original Blade. Um, I liked like the intro scene, but there was something about Wesley Snipes with the first one. But the second one, I was like, oh, okay. But surprisingly enough, I have to say, I actually like Trinity the best out of them. And I'm afraid that it's because of Ryan Reynolds. Like, and, uh, the character that he plays in this film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely Ryan Reynolds. I mean, he, he really does like steal the show in this movie. Um, you know, and like you said, in the first couple of movies, it's, it's all like Wesley Snipes and, um, but in this one, yeah, Ryan Reynolds comes on and he is, you know, whether, whether Wesley Snipes wants to admit it or not, Ryan Reynolds is the star in this one. 
Oh, most definitely. Even though Wesley Snipes uh, does get some of the better lines in the movie. Uh, at least, and just in the way that he, he does it, like, it feels like he's so dry. And I don't know, there's some type of, like, I don't want to say some, like, comfort in that the, the characters kind of stayed the same. He really doesn't get out of his comfort zone when he's portraying Blade. But he definitely, w- with that dry sense of, like, I don't want to say humor, but a dry sense of acting for the character, it really feels like those lines are a lot funnier than they need to be. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, the humor. There, there are some hum- there are some hilarious lines in this movie, uh, more so than the other two from what I remember. No, oh, most definitely. It seems like, and this was the first one. So the same writer has done all three films. He did, uh, you know, Blade and Blade Two, and now Blade Trinity. But this was the one that he actually directed himself as well, um, and that was. I, I never really realized that until I was kind of looking as, you know, I always like to go into these and try to look up at least some type of fun fact here or there, try to figure out, you know, who an actor is or whatever. And that's like the big thing for this one. And I don't know if he's really done anything else like of note other than really this film, like in terms of his direction. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, David S. Goyer says this is his directorial debut. So. Uh, not not too bad, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I, I remember when this came out a lot with the critics, and, you know, even though we're kind of criticizing the movie at the same time, uh, they basically said that there was like a rehash of the first two movies kind of combined into this. And maybe it's because I, you know, didn't pay as much attention to the other two as I do. Like, I remember so much more of this film than I even thought I remembered. I was like, oh yeah, I got this. But if I think back to like Blade, or especially Blade, I, the only scene I can truly remember is the beginning with the vampire rave and all the blood coming down and him going and killing a bunch of vampires. And Blade 2, of course, the wrestling scene. But I don't like really remember much more about those films. Um, and it's kind of weird. And I th- think that's why maybe this one sits better for me and that I really don't feel maybe is as much of a rehash, but... I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. So how about we, uh, well, what's your experience with like the Blade franchise? Like, did you, uh, you know, were you excited that this was coming out? Was it something that, you know, you kind of just like picked up into? Like for me, it was that uh, friends were literally saying, you've got nothing to do tonight. We're going to go see this. (laughs) Why don't you come and see it with us? And yeah, so I did. Um, for me, I was, uh, I, I, I've always been a big fan of the Blade franchise, you know, the all three movies. Um, I was a big fan of the first one when it came out. Um, I, you know, I probably saw it multiple times in the theater, I think. Uh, but for whatever reason, I was a big fan of the first one. And, you know, I, I bought it on VHS when it came out and I watched it, uh, quite a bit. And then the, the second one came out and I really liked the introduction of like the Reavers. I thought that was, Wait, is that what they were called? See, like the you've the, got me the mut- <laughs> yeah the the mutant vampires. Like I want to say the Reavers, but then that's also that cannibalistic uh, group in uh, Serenity. So I, uh, I don't know, but anyway, um, but I really liked like I'm a monster guy. I love monster movies. So like part two just kind of amped up the vampire factor. It made like these. Mutant vampires and it was really cool creature design. I thought, um, so, you know, and I know that 
Guillermo del Toro directed that one, and he probably played a big part in the look and feel of that one, which I really liked. And so, um, and then Blade Trinity came out, and this one felt like a little bit more of like a spoof, I guess, a spoof of a Blade movie, but just because there's a lot more humor in this one. You have the introduction of Ryan Reynolds and, you know, the Night Stalkers, and uh, it definitely uh, amps up the camp, although. The first two movies, there was like some camp, you know, but I felt like this one was like, it like increased like a hundred percent, which, which is fine. I'm fine with that. You know, it's, it's definitely a fun movie. Um, I laughed a lot during the rewatch today when I watched it again. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Blade franchise. Yeah. I, I, I was very surprised. Like, so here's part of the camp and let's start really getting into this movie. The, the first thing off the bat that you were told during the voiceover is that Dracula is back. So here you go. Let's let's listen to Ryan Reynolds talk about Dracula and Blade. In the movies, Dracula wears a cape, and some old English guy always manages to save the day the last minute with crosses and holy water. But everybody knows the movies are full of shit. The truth is, it started with Blade, and it ended with him. The rest of us were just along for the ride. So... Right away, Dracula is involved in this film. And I remember sitting in the theater and being like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> we're going to bring Dracula into the Blade franchise. But Dracula has had uh, parts in, in the Marvel universe as well, which, as and this is 2004, so I'm not saying it's a truly young me, uh, but a younger me was not as, like, comic-savvy um, and it's funny because even Ryan Reynolds, he plays Hannibal King and that character itself, like there's a scene later in the movie, maybe jumping ahead, but he shows Blade a com- comic of Tomb of Dracula. And that's where that character actually originates from in the Marvel Universe. Uh, I thought that was really neat that they, they kind of started blending it, but he's nothing like what the comic book character is. And already you kind of already get that Ryan Reynolds type of like humor delivery right from the beginning of this film. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I didn't realize that uh, Ryan Reynolds' character was a comic book character. I just thought it was a additional character that that they made up for the movie. But that's cool to know that he was actually in the Marvel comic. Yeah, he actually had a, a little bit of a role. He's like a, I think like a psychic detective uh, in the Marvel universe, and it's really weird. Like, and that was his debut was in Tomb of Dracula, um, and. I thought that was kind of because I was like, you know, there's got to be a reason why they're showing this comic, you know, for other than the fact that they get all their like supernatural type of like um, cases from the original Blade films through like the Inquirer and those things. Correct. If I remember correctly. Um, you know, I don't know. It's been, it's been a while since I've seen the, the other two movies. So I don't remember exactly. So you get this intro to the film to where you kind of learn that Dracula is going to be a part of it. Then you come into Syria where there's a bunch of vampires. And, well, you don't really know. You just see a helicopter kind of going through the desert. And then, of course, when they jump out of the helicopter, one of them looks right up at the sun and flips at the bird. <laughs> You're yeah. kind of like sitting there like, what the hell like is going Like That's also a point where besides Ryan Reynolds showing up or his voiceover being that this is going to be a little more of a, like you said, satirical version of Blade than anything else. And I, I'm betting that was Triple H flipping off the sun. 
it's weird because, you know, he was a part of, and I totally forgot that he was even in this movie. Like, I even sent a DM to Dave after, while I was watching him. Like, Triple H is in this movie. Did you know that? Like, <laughs> totally forgot about this. And, um, it's just like, but the, the vampires that come down, you have the one guy that's kind of like, he looks like Spock. Like, straight up, I, I like have this, like, early Leonard Nimoy or Zachary Kinto type of look to him when they finally take off the masks and everything. But everybody kind of looks the same. But once they get into there, then all of a sudden, here's Triple H, like, super buff after everybody was kind of, like, all similar style, like, uh, soldiers, I guess you could say. So inside of the cave, uh, they kind of find what they were looking for uh, and why whatever it is, which is we're assumed to believe is Dracula, is found down there. What's this chicken scratch? It's cuneiform. It's about 4,000 years old. So why here? Because this is the cradle of civilization. He would have been comfortable here. I don't know, Dan. It seems like another dead end. There's something beneath us. You find a watch? Is it a body? Guys? And that's when something like bubbles underneath the earth, the sand kind of swirls, and then grabs the Spock vampire and pulls him in by his head, and then completely rips it off. And we get kind of our intro glimpse into Dracula. Uh, I can tell you I really like the design, and it was one of those things where it actually kind of holds up even when later on you actually get him in his original form and you get the weird kind of like practical makeup versus the CG makeup. But even some of that CG makeup still actually holds in this film. Oh yeah. I definitely liked uh, Dracula's look. It was really cool. It was like a, he had like the predator mouth, but then he also had like the horns. Like he was a kind of like a, he looked really demonic. I thought that was really cool. That was my first note when I saw him. I'm like, look, Dracula's a predator. who knew that he came from space and he's here to hunt aliens but from there we go off and we then see basically the intro title card and we get the badass blade sequence to start the film and where they're attacking a bunch of vampires inside of a warehouse there's the big explosions the giant car chase and ultimately they end up on the freeway and he fires a silver stake into a guy but it turns out the blade actually was set up. Staked you with silver. Why aren't you ash? Why aren't you smarter? Not a vampire. Dumb shit! Set your sorry ass up. Fuck. So, what did you think about that action sequence that they did? Like, I had no idea that Blade was such a stunt driver <laughs> for some of the <laughs> shit that he was doing. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great action sequence. Uh, it, you know, one of, one of the things that I don't necessarily like about this movie is all the CGI blood that we see um, because it's you know it doesn't really because it really stands out. I don't know, like there's certain things that are CGI that that maybe it's hard to tell that it's CGI, but with the blood, you, it's it seems like you can really tell. So. Um, that was one of the things I definitely noticed here at the right from the beginning, but it, it was a cool action scene. Uh, I just have some issues with like the whole vampire's plot to set up Blade. I mean, how do they know that that human would be the last person that he kills? And like, 
<laughs> why would that guy let himself be used in that setup? You know, why, why was, why was, cause he probably knew that he was going to die if he went up against Blade. So it's like, did, what are they? I don't know. I don't, it just doesn't make any sense for this guy to let himself be killed for the vampire cause. <laughs> yeah. It was perfectly set up that they, one, if the vampires wanted to set him up, why did they also allow so many of their own kind to be killed? Like, they're basically just all trying to... If they all knew that, hey, the whole idea behind this is to just set up Blade, wouldn't you just try to run and go on a chase rather than, oh, we're just going to constantly attack him? Or was it to, you know, okay, we're going to do this for the greater good. A couple of you, like, scrub vampires are going to allow yourself to be killed. And then we're going to go ahead and, you know, allow one human... I guess the human could be, like, thralled. Uh, or whatever they call them familiars in this when they work they're humans but they work for the vampires and i guess that's maybe their time to give in or they are being uh you know kind of forced to do that i could get it but you you even in that clip you hear him like he's totally in on it he knew that okay well i'm gonna die anyway and you're you're fucking stupid because i'm setting you up but it, it makes no sense into the fact that she has like, the perfect position, they know exactly where to stop on the freeway, and where he's going to be able to get killed by by Blade, and that she's going to be able to stay up there with perfect lighting, like a spotlight put on him from just the little, like, uh, shoulder camera that she's got. It's It seems like it's really out of place. Yeah, but I guess you can't really expect uh, a whole lot of logic from this movie. You know, it, you know going into you have to kind of suspend your belief quite a bit. <laughs> What I want plenty of logic in my Blade movies. <laughs> <laughs> so Blade is set up. Uh, that, and that's Donna that's up on top, if if I remember. Or at least that's what Ryan Reynolds' character calls her. Uh, I think she has a much better, like, it's almost like a Dante type thing. I don't really remember, don't really care that much because she's probably one of the worst. And, and the other thing with the vampires, and in, this includes Wesley Snipes with the whole thing, he really sounds like, or all of them sound like they've got the fake teeth in their mouth and they can't quite pronounce everything right. Like it's pretty obvious that they're wearing some type of like plastic fake <laughs> dentures, like those white ones that you would get at Halloween when you wanted to be a vampire when you were a kid and you tried to say blah, but it came out all weird, you know? Oh yeah. And, and she's yeah, like def- the worst offender. Yeah, she was Parker Posey's definitely, uh, I don't know. Uh, she's definitely, uh, chewing the, I guess, you know, they could say chewing the scenery. That's, you know, th- she's definitely does that with this role. I think, you know, I, I think just think with the, the way this movie is, a lot of the actors are just really going for it, you know, really, really, uh, uh, just going all out and, and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, and it kind of comes across as just being too much, I think sometimes. Yeah, I mean, everybody kind of is like that. You're right. Uh, Parker Posey definitely seems like she's a little bit more. Uh, Triple H just kind of is like he's his wrestling persona. Um, the only thing that he's got going for him is he doesn't look like he has the plastic fangs since they're all, like, metal fangs, I guess. Like, did he lose his teeth at some point? But now he's got, like, killer, like, he's got a grill, a vampire grill in his yeah. mouth. <laughs> it can't be silver, though, right? Because then that would probably kill him. Right, yeah. So we see that Blade's been set up. Uh, she manages to transfer it over into the product placement in this movie can also say is really terrible. Like the Apple stuff is really prominent. You know that Apple had some hand in it. 
um, especially when it comes to, and I can't remember the actress's name that plays Abigail, uh, when she does her, like, fight music. Oh, they have to put, and you, it really dates the movie, too. You have to put it on MP3 before we go into a fight. Um, but all over the place, it just seems like it's, it, everything has, a product has a place for the film. So from here, she goes and she puts it on her Mac, and uh, she gets really great video quality, even for back in 2004. But, of course, they also have kind of placed Dracula into a cell, and he's pretty pissed off that he's been brought back. You shouldn't have walked away. We had to. Your blood, your sacrament, can set us free now. What makes you think I care? Your people need you. My people? You're nothing but shadows of your former selves. Look how far you have fallen. The world's changed since your time. The humans have a new hunter. Blade. And you'd like me to kill him, wouldn't you? Yes. So... What are your thoughts kind of on just Dracula in general for this film? Um, I think <clears throat> as far as like acting wise, like the character kind of on par with all the other vampires. Uh, he has a little bit more uh, like bravado, I think. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, he's pretty campy too. Um, I don't really know. As far as like the actor goes, I don't really know what else he's been in. He his face looks familiar though. He does. But, uh, yeah. He's got some like Eastern European type of look. To, well, I guess that fits for Dracula, right? Uh, right. <laughs> but he's he really hasn't been in anything of note. But he looks really really familiar. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he was fine. Uh, like I don't know, I wasn't as into like Dracula. I think I liked. Uh, me personally, I like Parker posing like Triple H as like kind of more of the main villains rather than Dracula. Dracula just kind of seemed like he was just there, uh, kind of more of a side character. It seemed like for a lot of the movie, he would he would show up every now and then, you know. But yeah, oh, he was. It's an interesting portrayal of it. Like I think that they still kept the like. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the Castlevania franchise, um, more so the, the ones that Hideo Kojima had done. Um, and he did kind of a, I don't know, I want to say like a reboot or whatever, but the, the Dracula that's there. Uh, and also if you ever saw Dracula untold, uh, was it untold? I don't remember which one it was. It's one of like the last Dracula movies they tried to do, which almost seemed like it was ripped out of it. Like there was still like an honor to the character. Like, it wasn't about just going around and sucking people's blood and, and being a menace. And that's not really the way that he is in here. He kind of is for a couple of little scenes, but for the most part, it's more like, I want to see if you're like, you know, if blades worthy. And I kind of like that aspect of his character. So, yeah. I, no, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah. I definitely, uh, yeah. Caught that. He's like very much like, uh, more almost like uh yeah he had that old like um uh, you know live by the sword die by the sword kind of thing and uh yeah I talked about honor a lot and uh and he liked to wear a pirate shirt he liked those 
<laughs> pirate shirts, you know, like the button-up shirts, and it looked like he had some... Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, the, I don't know. There were two people in this film that like to have their chest out in one way, shape, or form. And that was <laughs> yeah. Ryan Reynolds and Dracula. Like, even oh, yeah. Triple H didn't, like, go shirtless for any point in this film. I thought at least when, you know, we'd have some of the climactic battles that maybe he would go... Not like I'm wishing for Triple H to be like, oh, I have to have you shirtless for this movie. <laughs> but I was surprised that the two that were there were Ryan Reynolds and Dracula. Um all right, so from here, we follow Blade's mentor, and that's Whistler. Uh, and he's basically buying the magazines that they use to find other vampires around, basically because they're looking like the Inquirer and whatever. And then it comes to find out that actually he's being set up by the um, the FBI. Basically, because of the setup that they did with finding the video, and the video was sent over the FBI, the FBI is now used... Uh, and I don't know how they figured out that this guy was like a contact unless they went around looking around or they basically just had this guy as a plant there the entire time. And they've been kind of following. They did say at one point, we've been following you around for a long time, Blade, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. But it was weird to see that it was so quickly that they were able to get a hit on where they were. Yeah, that was something I did. I guess I didn't really even think about. I just uh, it's like, oh, there's the FBI. They're. They've already tracked him down. I mean, because it's not like Blade's Blade has like a bat cave or anything. He just has like some old rundown like warehouse thing. So it seems yeah. to be the style for the like heroes in this film is to have the old rundown like pier, like ways for boats to get in. <laughs> yeah. So when we follow Whistler, we follow him back, and he has a confrontation with Blade, uh, basically saying that hey, you can't do these things alone. Famous. Somebody nailed us. Faces all over the papers, television, media's eating it up. Like I care. Well, you should. Something like this, taken out a human. As far as the rest of the world's concerned, you're public enemy number one. Didn't notice it was a popularity contest. Damn it, Blade. Don't you see what they're doing? They're waging a goddamn PR campaign. Now it's not just vampires we got to worry about. We're going to have to take on the rest of the world, too. You worry too much, old man. That's why we're still alive, goddammit. I've been doing this since before you were born, Blade. You're like a son to me. I'm sorry I got old on you. I see you alone, surrounded by enemies. It breaks my heart. We can't win this war alone. And that's where we get introduced into the one of the like the other faction that's out there who we don't really know who she is. And that's where we go into the the subways and we see a lady she's carrying a baby and then she's followed by vampires into another part of a really like <laughs> vacant area of the subway like there's absolutely nobody there. Like she I I know that she planned it and this is a total setup and this is also a setup at the same time with having that type of speech, if you didn't kind of already figure it out, that his mentor is going to die. Because everything is kind of setting up like, hey, Blade, you're going to be alone, or you shouldn't be alone, you should have friends, oh, here's something that's going to help you out that my friends made, oh, you know, to here we're introducing these new vampire killers in a sequence that, while like kind of fun, some of it's a little awkward at the same time. Oh yeah, her uh art where 
Abigail first uh we first see her in action. Um yeah, I mean it, it was it was a cool like decent it was like a cool action scene. Um I really liked her uh her little it was like a UV bow or something. It was like the thing that she took out and it had that uh arc of light going across that Yeah, she had that, that, like sunlight it's it's hard. It's kind of like a laser like cutter, kind of. Yeah. It looks like it like comes out like a bow. So the bowstring, instead of it just being a regular string, it's a string of UV light that can just right. cut through vampires. But the CG on that is so terrible when it like transforms into the weapon that it's such an awkward sequence to watch. Yeah, the CGI is not the greatest in this movie. That's for sure. I don't mind back like two thousand and four. You know, it's not. Uh, kind of a terrible type of you know cgi there are definitely movies in this time that are a lot better it just feels weird to look at it now and maybe just because of the quality of everything i always get stuck with all these old movies and you can tell what holds up by if a current tv makes it look ridiculous or not so oh yeah yeah i should definitely try watching this on like a hd tv i was just watching this on my laptop <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish I had watched it on a laptop because <laughs> then it would have maybe <laughs> looked a little better. Like, uh, you know, there's some films that you watch and you're just like, oh, man, uh, especially when the refresh rate is really high. Uh, so she basically beats the crap and kills a bunch of vampires uh, in the subway. It's kind of funny because she does have the baby and they say, ooh, a combo snack, which I thought was kind of <laughs> like... Like, okay, well, I guess if the baby's the appetizer and she's the main course, okay. Or I guess she's the burger and the baby's the fries. <laughs> you you <laughs> could have yourself a nice combo. I wonder who the soda's going to be. Uh, but she basically tricks them, kills them all, and is able to escape before the next subway train rolls by. Now, I don't remember, like, what city does this? Is this just like a non-discriminant city? That's what I was trying to figure out because I noticed that some of the signs have, like, another language on it. And, uh, I was reading in the, the, uh, trivia. Um, they said that the, uh, you know, cause when Whistler went to buy the magazine from the newsstand, uh, he was speaking a different language. Yeah. Um, let's see here. It says on the trivia, what the language was, but, um, yeah, I was curious about where this was actually filmed at two because like they didn't really say and it was hard to tell because uh you know there was not really there wasn't any landmarks and also it had that like on the police sign it had like police in a different language and so i was like okay is this not set in america is and uh i mean it was filmed in canada so i thought well, maybe that's it but um yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it was supposed to be said at. So are we to believe then Blade is supposed to be French-Canadian and maybe can actually speak French as well <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. as English and vampire, whatever vampires speak? Yeah, but, so that that language is called Esperanto, whatever that is. Okay. Uh, I wonder if that's just something within the world of Blade or not. I'm not sure. Uh, and if not, then I look like an idiot and I know what Esperanto is. Uh yeah, but I don't know either. It, it's just, it's like crazy because I was trying to figure out, because I'm, you know, you look at cities and I, I figure it wasn't fig- sh- uh, filmed anywhere inside of the U.S. Like it had to be an outside because what film really films in, in the U.S. unless it's in Atlanta nowadays and, and some ports of, you know, Hollywood, most of it's done in Canada. 
if it's going to represent a U.S. city, which is also hilarious at the same time. Uh, but, you know, most of the Marvel stuff takes place in regular U.S. cities across the, you know, the states. So it's, unless it's, you know, of course, uh, they're outside of the U.S. at any point. Uh, but it, I would assume that it would be something like New York, but it could be anywhere. It could be Chicago. It could be, uh, you know, it, what has to be at least on, well, where they could never have a port or something like that. Cause it seems like every, like I said, both of the, uh, for the Night Stalkers and for Blade, their hideouts both happen to be on the edge of water. Yep. So from here we go back over and we see that, uh, Blade's been meditating, uh, and they're getting ready, I guess, for their next strike, maybe trying to figure out whether or not they've been followed. And it turns out that yes, they have been followed and the FBI starts crashing in and we get another sequence where Whistler does what every big guy does before he's going to get caught, which is erase all of his internet history. Completely wipe out all of his hard drives just to make sure that nothing that they can find is actually in there. As well as blow himself up for some reason rather than just be captured. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he not only erases all the data, he his computers blow up. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's it's kind of cool, I guess, if, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, someone's going to see your... Uh, browser history, man. That's that's <laughs> how you take care of it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want them looking at the weird crap that you've been looking at, right? I, <laughs> I think I might be okay with mine, except for maybe some of the uh, Howard the Duck things that I had to look up after I finished that review. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to find some Leah Thompson stuff every once in a while. Hey, let's look back in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, he. I just... I mean, I understand that he was a little like, you know, he even says to him, the stuff that I've been doing is the reason why we're still alive. And, but now you're doing some of the same stuff and that involves blowing yourself up. Like, why, why would you just, like, I get erasing all the data, making sure that it's gone. People can maybe retrieve this stuff, but it's like, it really, you tell me, he tells Blade to escape right before he blows himself up and then Blade still gets caught. Like, he gets surrounded by cops and, Instead of fighting his way out, he just lets himself get captured. Yeah, it seemed like Blade was just, he was too, uh, too sad from the loss of, um, uh, Whistler, I guess. Yeah, you know, he just was like, yeah, it seemed like he just couldn't, he was like in shock or something from Whistler's death. Yeah, I assume that that probably happened with that, because, you know, he's basically, and even in the scene before, you're like a son to me, uh, that means that you're probably going to die <laughs> when anybody ever says that type of thing. Cause they're already like regulated to, uh, I'm just going to let these things happen. So they take blade after they capture him. And then they take him into an interrogation room where we get to see the FBI, uh, talk to him for the first time. Special agents, Ray Cumberland, Wilson Hale, FBI. We've been tracking you a long time. Whistler. Dead. Just like all your victims. Say, how many people have you killed, Blade? 30, 40, 50? 1,182. But they were all familiars. People who work with them. And by them, you mean vampires, right? You can keep doing your song and dance as long as you want, Blade. It's not gonna play. We know what you are. 
You're a stone-cold killer. And you're sick as fuck. Let's leave the diagnosis to the professionals. Hello, Blade. My name is Dr. Vance. I've been charged with giving you a psychiatric evaluation. Gentlemen, would you mind giving us just a couple of minutes alone? So, my other gripe about this film happens in this scene, and it's some of the dialogue. Like, some of the swearing is really, really forced. Like, he's got to put the that strong emphasis on fuck. <laughs> he just can't be like, hey, you know, yeah, you're just, you're a crazy fuck. You've killed a lot of people. Hey, here's what's going on. But it's specifically, you, you, oh, it just drives me fucking batty when it comes to this film. Yeah, I guess they really need to earn that R rating. <laughs> you have CGI blood, that means that you can say fucking motherfucker every other sentence, right? It's like you're yeah. listening to the Angry Dad podcast or some shit like that. <laughs> 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 fucking going off on it. Or sometimes this podcast, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of an odd situation. I mean, I like how nonchalantly, you know, do you know how many people you've killed? Uh, 1,182. Like, he doesn't even drop a beat. And, and that's, but at like, while I hate some of the dialogue at the way that, you know, Wesley Snipes delivers that, it, it's basically like makes that character so much cooler. So we also get to hear, meet, uh, Dr. Vance in this scene. And Dr. Vance sits him down and basically has a conversation to determine whether or not he's crazy. And ultimately he decides that he is. He asks him a bunch of kind of random questions about vampires. They go into the next room. And he says, hey, no, we're going to have to have him transferred to a psychiatric care because the guy's insane. And, of course, the cops there, they don't like it. They get into a yelling match. I had to wonder why everybody was just completely yelling in the scene when everybody's kind of yelling nonsense to each other. And then uh, they leave, and we actually find out that Dr. Vance, as well as, I believe it's the chief of police, are actually familiars uh, for the vampires themselves little something to keep you compliant. Yeah, the usual dose for this sort of thing is two or three hundred milligrams, but I think with a big strapping hybrid like yourself, kick it up to a couple thousand. You don't have a problem with needles, do you? There. That wasn't so bad, was it? Ooh, you're weak. Even yourself. where we have the vampire crew they are coming down the hallway all dressed as orderlies and it's odd to see uh, <laughs> Triple H, this is where he really seems out of place and you would like look at these guys walking through and they're the people that work for the psych ward, you got this like really buff guy that's coming down the hallway and totally looks out of place oh yeah, go ahead, just come on in, come on in you're not going to do anything with uh, you know, our prisoner that's over here yeah you know that doc, Dr. Vance, I was trying to place, 
He seemed really familiar. I can't remember. Has he been in any other movies besides this one? So, you know what? I did the same thing. Both him and there was like a TV show that I kind of skipped out where he first shows up. And he's talking with someone that that guy that was the head of the TV show. I was trying to figure out who he was. Um, but that is uh, John Michael Higgins. And John Michael Higgins, uh, let's see his filmography here. Uh, he was in Vampire's Kiss. Um, he was in G.I. Jane, Wag the Dog, Bicentennial Man, Best in Show. Um, ooh, Teddy Bear's Picnic, A Mighty Wind. So it looks like he's done a lot of Christopher Guest type of stuff. Um, Fun with Dick and Jane, The Breakup. Yep. So he's done a ton of stuff for Christopher Guest. He's all did, also did uh, For Your Consideration, which was uh, his as well. So uh, he's been in quite a few movies, but I don't think that he's just kind of one of those um, you-know-that-face type of actors. Like, you don't really know exactly who he is in that film. I can tell you the you're talking about the host for that TV show that Dr. Vance appeared on. Um, that host, he was the bad guy in Under Siege 2. Oh, Jesus just, Christ. Yeah, just a fly. <laughs> <laughs> so is this an upgrade or a downgrade? Well, I guess since this is a bit part for him, this is a downgrade, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, I love Under Siege 2. I say... Everybody should go out and watch it. But, yeah, it's probably not a great movie. But Yeah, well, you won't get Seagal by watching that movie. He actually survives for the whole film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then you can watch him get killed and then come to Blade Trinity and watch him pretend to be a TV host for a little while with his, like, crazy... He looks like he's got John C. Riley hair in that one comedy series he does uh, where he plays, like, the professor that's the host of a TV show. And he's got his hair, like, really high up. Like that, that's all I could think about was that, oh, this could be John C. Riley, but it's not. So yeah. they come in on Blade and they are all basically, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like taunting him because he doesn't have, he's been weakened. He's been injected with something that the doctor injected him with. And we see him, uh, basically about to kind of be had by these guys. I don't know if they're going to try to kill him or just like, take him to wherever Dracula was uh, and had, or it seemed like their plan pretty much was just to kill him off. But of course it's interrupted. And that's where we meet uh, Ryan Wilson's character uh, King. And we see Abigail for the second time as they come in to rescue blade and his introduction for Ryan Reynolds uh, character is the big fuck you name tag that he's got the hi, my name is fuck you. And so he busts in, he takes a couple shots, he is able to kill one guy, but none, of course none of the main vampires that you have in the room. Uh, and then they all escape together. And you get a firefight that's entertaining in the hallways, um, and Blade actually leaves them for a moment, and it's kind of like, hey, we were here to rescue you, and you're just kind of leaving us alone. Uh, Abigail, she knows how to bounce arrows off of walls, uh, supposedly, to take out one of the vampires. Because there's like, I can't shoot around corners. She's like, I can. But then she really doesn't shoot around the corner. All she does is she fires the arrow and then it happens. She steps out from the corner and <laughs> shoots. It's not like she makes it ricochet or anything like that. She just kills the guy. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, you can always tell which vampires are the ones that are going to be get killed. There's like, because there's like all these like really attractive, good looking ones that are like the main vampires. And there's like these like fat like 
fat vampires. So, okay, those are the ones that, are, that those are like the ones that Blade's going to kill right now. You know, the, what do you got against the, fat vampires, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, how, how do you how do you become a fat vampire anyway? I don't know. I would imagine that it's when you got bitten. Maybe because you know if you're a kid and you're bitten as a vampire, then you stay a kid forever. So I guess if you're a fat motherfucker and you get bitten by a vampire, you're just going to be fat forever. You can never get rid of that weight. No matter how much you go to the gym, you're going to have a bad heart. You're going to move slow. Um, <laughs> you're going to be a diabetic vampire for the rest of your life. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> with you. Yeah, that's that's ah, uh, that would be like uh, that'd just be a real bad way to be a vampire. I think. Yeah, if you just decide, well, you know. If you could work off the weight, well, because you see, like, um, you know, Triple H's vampire, he's like a buff vampire. Who knows if he even has to work out for that? Yeah, really. But he did have to get metal teeth for some fucking reason that's never explained. So, eventually, they do get outside the building. They're fighting off both the FBI and the vampires that are coming there, of course. Like Andy says, all the the ugly-looking vampires are the ones that are getting killed the entire time. And eventually, they get outside. Blade finally pops up. And, of course, the only reason that he went away is because he had to get his sword. And then you have the rescue van, like, come in. And what I found ridiculous was when the van came in, like, everybody just kind of got out of the way. I know a van is coming down and, like, barreling down, but it literally, like, scares everybody or, like, pops out of the middle of nowhere. Like, he's been stalking with that van and then just hits the gas at the last minute and it pops into scene. And, And they're all able to get into it with, like, minimal firefight. Uh, having to deal with it and then you have triple h he's chasing after the van and abigail takes one arrow and instead of trying to kill him she shoots him in the eye yeah. like come on like aim for the chest like like why oh no we can't kill him yet because he's a name <laughs> right yeah so that's when we all go back to the the hideout and we actually get to hear uh, Ryan Reynolds introduced the crew. The honeycomb hideout. How do you bankroll this operation? I date a lot of older men. Come on, man, I'm joking. You met Dex. This is Hedges. Summerfield, she's the one who built that new serum inhaler of yours. That runt you saw earlier, that was Summerfield's daughter, Zoe. We call ourselves the Night Stalkers. <laughs> Sounds like rejects from a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, we were going to go with the Care Bears, but uh, that was taken. How many of you are there? There's enough. We operate in sleeper cells. When one goes down, another cell activates to pick up the slack. And consider us your reinforcements. What, you amateurs are supposed to be helping me? <laughs> you? Look at you. You're kids. You're not ready to roll with this. I mean, look at the way you dressed. <laughs> but that's supposed to be tactical? What is this? What is that? Fuck you. It's a joke, huh? The fuck is wrong with you? You think this is a joke? You think this is a fucking sitcom? Okay, first off, that's just rude. Second, I'm pretty sure we saved your ass back there. (laughs) Mm, I'm impressed. Look, Blade, my father meant for us to help you. Like it or not, we are all you got. The hell makes you think you know about hunting vampires? Well... Just for starters, I used to be one. Do I pass the audition? Lookies. Okay, so two things. 
I don't know about you, but I automatically got DMX stuck in my head. This is not a fucking game. <laughs> like, I don't know why. <laughs> I was just like, you think this is a motherfucking game? Um, and then when he shows the, the little symbol that he used to be a familiar, I swear, and I don't know why I caught on this, but I swear you can see his pubes. Like, he pulls it down <laughs> far enough so you can see Ryan Reynolds' pubes. Like, and I don't know why that, like, left a scarring image in my brain. Well, so, so he, so I guess he used to be a vampire. And so now he's not a vampire? Yeah, he explains that the, the blind lady that you meet, uh, that develops, uh, something that we'll talk about, uh, she actually developed a cure. I think he was just a familiar because he even says that he was the suck boy for the Parker Posey's vampire. So she, like, didn't turn him into a vampire, but that was, like, her mobile blood bank. He found her, he kind of dated her, and he became a familiar for five years. And he was able to get out from under her spell due to something that the blind lady, who I cannot remember the character's name for the life of me, uh, to do it. Because that character is so important. She's only important for one fucking thing in this whole movie. It's like the kid. Do you remember the kid's name? Even though I think he just said it. Uh, Zoe, I think. Oh, you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the blind the blind woman, she Summerfield's her name. Summerfield. Okay, then here's the other quick. What was Patton Oswalt's character? Uh, was he Hedges, maybe? Maybe. Well, and that surprised me, too. Like, I didn't remember Patton Oswalt even being in this movie. When he showed right. up, I'm like, holy shit, it's Patton Oswalt. He doesn't do much in this movie, but he is in it. Yeah, he does. I think he has one scene, and I was going to include it, and they decided that it's completely worthless because all it is is them showing off guns, and he has like maybe five lines for his whole scene. And then, uh, spoiler alert, he dies later on in the film after playing basketball. He does sink a basket. I will say that that is something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> noteworthy that he does in this film. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, when Blade makes that comment about, do you think this is a sitcom? Uh, it's funny because Patton Oswalt, Ryan Reynolds, and Jessica Biel all had their acting debut on like TV shows, sitcoms, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, because Ryan Reynolds was two guys, a girl in the Pete's place. I remember that. I used to love that show. I love Ryan Reynolds. Like, I, I don't want to be like this, like, fanboy of his, but I'm kind of a fanboy of his. And this is the first Marvel character that he ever did. And then he did one that nobody ever wants to speak about. And then he did the good version of the one that nobody ever wants to speak about. But he's done four superhero characters, which, again, the other one is one that nobody ever wants to speak about from the DC universe. Um, maybe except for Dave. I don't know. Because he's so goddamn in love with DC. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's weird that this is kind of where he got his start and that he's been involved with Marvel for so long. Um, and then Patton was King of Queens, correct? And then yeah, Jessica Biel, so. what was she? Uh, I think just like uh, Seventh Heaven, she was in that show. Oh, so she was in the, the Christian Good Girl show. <laughs> was, yeah. Was this like her breakout, like, I'm not going to be the good girl anymore? Now I'm going right. <laughs> to go sit in a bath, bath or a shower naked with blood coming off me? Well, she was, uh, well, I mean, she was in the uh, Texas Chainsaw remake that came out in. So I think that came out in 2003, so that came out like the year before this one. Oh, okay. So yeah. that was like her try to get into serious yeah. roles 
or away from that character. Yeah. So basically that's where, so the next scene really is the meeting with Patton Oswalt where he shows him all the guns. And then after that, uh, he basically, uh, Ryan Reynolds' character King, um, and I'm probably going to always refer to him as Ryan Reynolds and I always have to say the full goddamn name. I don't know why I can just say Ryan or anything or just say King. King would be so easy, wouldn't it? Just to say his goddamn character name the entire time. Uh, but he tells a little story about Dracula, and this is where actually he presents the comic Tomb of Dracula to Blade, and of course Blade, he kind of just blows everything off. He's real, Blade. This is a piece of his armor. What if we were able to extrapolate a basic idea of what this fucker looked like? Check this out. Dracula's only one of the names he's gone by. The Babylonians worshipped him as Dagon, and now they call him Drake. If you believe in the legends, he was born in ancient Sumeria. Nobody really knows the specifics of his origin, but we do know this. He was the first of his kind. The patriarch of Hominus Nocturna. He was born perfect. And just like the great white shark, this guy has never had to evolve. Forget the movies, forget the books, there's no happy ending with this guy. He's been there, moving behind the scenes, cutting a bloody fucking path through the ages until suddenly... Just like that. and disappeared and then we heard a rumor the vampires were searching for him some say he'd been sleeping through the ages that he retreated from a world he'd become disgusted with and according to our information they found him in Iraq about six months ago and he was pissed so the question I have for you is why the hell is he called Drake why did he take that name because that was what you did in the early 2000s, you shortened your name. You, you know, you couldn't just have a regular name. You had to have a cool name. So are you trying to tell me that he was trying to be a rapper before Drake became a rapper? Exactly. <laughs> you notice something I thought that was funny about the vampires in this movie. And I, and I think you kind of see in some of the other ones too, but like the vampires in this series, they're always dressed like, uh, like they're going out on a date or something. I don't know. They're, they're always in this like, these button-up shirts, you know, and, uh, I don't know, just re- dressed, trying to be really stylish or whatever. They always look uh, like Eastern European club goers. Yeah, yeah. I, the thing that reminded me of, you ever watched the Office TV show? Yeah, well, my wife's obsessed with it, at least the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the Michael Scott, that, you know, the, the manager. Yeah. He has, uh, he has date Mike. You know, when he goes out on a date, he's he becomes date Mike. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that's what these vampires <laughs> these these vampires just constantly date vampires. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, they just they're just it's like they're dressed up like they're going out on a date, like they're date Mike. You know, they 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 wear the cool hip clothes. You know, like they uh they just got out of like a Forever Twenty One or something. You know, one of one of those mall stores. That's that's what these vampires look like. They went and like. Uh, went to the mall and got their costumes or something. I don't know. It's, it's just something I thought was funny. 
No, the, you're totally right. Like, everybody is always dressed in some type of dapper type of attire. Because, like, Parker Posey's got, like, almost like a business dress suit type of thing that she's wearing all the time. And her brother is constantly dressed in it, like, almost like a zoot suit. At least it's a pinstripe suit. He's got the, the stripes on there. And even, like, Triple H at least looks somewhat, like, you know nicely dressed i wouldn't call he's probably the least nicely dressed out of all of them but it's still like a dress-up shirt and like nice pants so we've got completely fashionable vampires for this film that die really really easily (laughs) yeah and why do their clothes burn up at the same time when they get staked like they turn into fire pretty much right yeah yeah it looks like it yeah so probably one of my favorite film like scenes of this film happens almost directly after this after we've learned about dracula and he decides that he's going out into the real world and he's walking down the streets of this whatever the city is and he runs by this goth shop because he sees dracula memorabilia outside and that's where he has a run-in encounter uh with the goth people at the goth shop in the window you sell vampire merchandise uh, yeah. Look around. We might have a few things. We've got Dracula lunchboxes. Did you see those? There's bobbleheads, keychains. We've got just about anything. Even vampire vibrators. Was there something special you needed? Hey, guy. She's talking to you. What? You want to kiss me, pretty boy? So that's him being thrown through the window at the end of the scene. Now, I have to admit, she's wearing a sweet Motorhead t-shirt. But the stuff that they have in there, in the shop, they actually had to make props for, like, everything for the scene. And it's amazing that they made a Dracula dildo with his head as the tip of the penis. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that there's not, I I mean, I could totally believe that there's like some kind of goth store, especially like in the late 90s, you know, that's when like Hot Topics started showing up, uh, you know, around here anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I could totally believe there being like a vampire store like that in real life. It's just crazy that they've got like Dracula everything. Like they, they literally have, you know, bobbleheads and then t-shirts, lunch boxes, and the the fact that that guy, the guy reminds me of a comedian um, that used to do Best Week Ever, um, and I can't remember the guy's, the damn guy's name, but he always had, I think, uh, I want to say his first name's like Hal, Hal something, Hal Sparks, that's who he reminds me of, but I know that it's not Hal Sparks, um, and just, just his reaction to the whole thing, like looking, you know, you want to kiss me? And then he gets completely fucking just thrown <laughs> right through the window. It's like excellent. Um, but we go back from here after we see Drac out and about and we see him over, uh, well, we see the guy, the gang's there and they are now discussing a new tactic that they have, uh, basically to try to get rid of the vampires. That's exactly what we've been trying to figure out. When I was under the fang, there used to be talk about some kind of vampire final solution. But I could never figure out why they'd want to destroy their food source. I mean, it makes no sense, right? 
They've always had plans for the human race, and it seems likely that whatever they're cooking up, Drake's return is part of it. Let's face it, we are fighting a losing battle here. So we kill a few hundred of them a year, big deal. There are thousands of them out there, maybe tens of thousands. We need a new tactic. Like what? A biological weapon. Well, you sighted people. Here's a little show and tell. For the last year, I've been working with synthesized DNA in order to create an artificial virus targeted specifically at vampires. We're calling it Daystar. Think about it, Blade. We could wipe them all out in one single move. So what's been holding you back? The lethality in vampires is still spotty. The bottom line is we need a better strand of DNA to work with. We need Dracula's blood. Because Dracula is the progenitor of the vampire race, his DNA is still pure. It hasn't been diluted by a hundred generations of selective mutation. We get his blood. We can boost Daystar's viral efficacy to 100%. All the vampires go bye-bye. So, can we just go right ahead and sign you up for one of our secret nice Dr. Dakota rooms? I honestly think one of those Dakota rooms would be really fucking cool to have. Like, what yeah, would it do? Sure. Was, would it have, like, a, I guess, a Night Stalker signal or some shit on it? Or would it tell you to drink your Ovaltine? I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, from there, they've... Now, now I, I, this is where I kind of space, and you're, you, maybe you could fill in the uh, space. But they, they basically decide that they're going to go see the doctor, because they know that he was uh, a familiar... But was there something that kind of triggered why they were going to go there? Yeah, because they... Uh... Okay, so this sets up something I wanted to kind of mention. Uh, so they go looking for... Um, they, they go looking for familiars. Because that's going to get them on the trail of Dracula. Like mm-hmm. where they're keeping Dracula, things like that. So, you know, it shows like these different cut scenes of them fighting, I'm assuming, familiars. And it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because these familiars are really putting up a f- more of a fight than the, the vampires do, it seemed like. <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, they, after they make their way through like, I don't know, it's like five or six cutscenes of little, short little fight scenes with these familiars. They get that one guy that they have like on a rope tied around his ankle and they like drop him down to the ground, but like stop him just short of hitting the ground and they pull him back up and his cell phone starts ringing and they, and, uh, Blade picks it up and he sees this Dr. Vance calling this familiar um, because they're trying to figure out who this guy's handler is and it turns out to be Dr. Vance. So that's when they find out uh, that Dr. Vance is involved. Of course, we already know from that earlier scene. So then that's what that's what gets him on the that's what gets him to go to Dr. Vance's office. There we go. And the whole time I remember seeing that scene where basically they're bungee cording the guy, thinking, how did the phone not come out of his pocket at any time? And like when yeah. they first, it, it, it somehow, I mean, okay, maybe it would look like it was a Nokia, so it probably would have survived, you know, those early <laughs> 2000 Nokias. Uh, but it's still like something should have come out of his pants, whether it was his wallet or whatever. And then even at the end, poor guy, like they just end up throwing him over the edge the last time and just letting him die. Like, they really didn't give a shit about whoever they were going to uh, interrogate and kill at the same time. Oh, well, I guess they're vampire familiars, so they deserve to die. So they do go to Dr. Vance's office, and uh, when they go in there, they basically kind of just have a montage of 
killing a bunch of people. Yeah, that's that's part of the montage of uh, beating up foos, as I put it in my notes for <laughs> all the damn uh, familiars that are being up. But then they start be almost like not saying it's like a matrix scene, but they basically go through the metal detectors with all of their weapons and then go up to the top floor, beat up a bunch of people, and break into Dr. Vance's office. And then that's where they find out that uh, Dracula has killed Dr. Vance because he's outlived his usefulness. And so from there, there's the chase between um, Dracula and Blade, but not before Ryan Reynolds' king gets injured in the arm, and they have to stick that gel stuff into his like shoulder blade to like seal up the wound so it can stop hemorrhaging. And... That really looked ridiculously painful. Yeah, for sure. I mean that 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 was some decent effects there. I mean, just that the foam coming out of the wound like that. It was. I mean, it looked real to me. <laughs> yeah, it, they did a really good job. Like when when I look at this film, the practical effects that they do all look pretty good. And like you said, if you have such good practical effects for doing something like that, why do you have to have fr- like fake splattering blood everywhere? It makes no sense. Yeah. So Blade goes ahead and follows Dracula around the city to a point where he's like bashing through people's doors. It's like, you know, it's like his second Howard the Duck reference when Howard the Duck is being dragged uh, to Earth and going through everybody's apartment. But this time Dracula has decided, hey, I'm going to take a shortcut and start just bounding through people's walls and ends up stealing some lady's kid who doesn't really look like the lady when you finally see the kid. Like... I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought that they would kind of match, but eventually Blade does tra- catch up to Dracula, and they have their first uh, confrontation where the scene ends in one of my favorite lines that Blade delivers. Careful, Daywalker. I've been told about you, your weakness for humans. Why'd you kill Vance? It outlived his purpose. He died a good death. Quick. Clean. I wouldn't know anything about that. You will. How are you able to survive in sunlight? Haven't you read Stoker's Fable? I was the first vampires. I'm unique. So that's why they brought you back. Or They believed through me they could become daywalkers. Look at them down there. Scurrying around like insects. They don't know anything about honor or living by the sword. Not like you and I do. Do you think they could ever grasp what it means to be immortal? You're not immortal. I must have heard hundreds of you rodents make the same claim. Each one of them has tasted the end of my sword. Perhaps I will too then. But I think it is more likely the next time we meet, you fall mine. So there's just something about <laughs> Wesley Snipes saying coochie coo. <laughs> it makes me fucking laugh every time I hear it. Like, I had to repeat it like three times because I was like, wait, did he really say coochie coo? And, and it's just the way that he looks down there and he's got like that smirking face like I've never paid taxes for a long time when he looks down <laughs> at the baby. So 
it's it's kind of an interesting situation. It's almost like Dracula is testing Blade to see whether or not he is like kind of worthy to fight against him, at least in that uh, that chase sequence. Like if that's what it is, because it just seems like Blade cannot catch up to him, even though he's almost I wouldn't say as strong, but he he seems you know Dracula seems extremely strong, uh, and then for it to be some kind of like test and then the vampires like the reason that they're going to use him is so that they can walk in the light but they never really explain exactly how they're going to use dracula to do that like are they all going to drink of his blood or is it just that you know because everything has become so diluted that there isn't that pure like vampire anymore that they're going to use him like keith richards uses a blood transfusion just take all the blood out of their system and put in dracula's blood it's never really explained, and it drives me crazy. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't know. I guess... Yeah, who, who knows what, what their plan really was with that. So we go back over to the uh, base of the HQ of the Night Slayers, and now we see that uh, King himself, he's become kind of, like, scared of everything that's going on. Like when they talk to him about Dracula, he's like, well, there's just no way that we could stand up to him. He's way too strong. Um, and we see again, that fun loving humor that he also has and how much wisecracking that character has in the movie. Hey, Blade. I got a question for you. Say we're successful. Say we wipe out all the vampires. What then, huh? You ever ask yourself that? And somehow I don't picture you teaching karate at the local Y. He hates me, doesn't he? Yeah. It's just one of those weird scenes where I don't... It's funny, and I get that it's in there to be funny, but do we actually need it in the film? I mean, it's it's definitely something that... uh... They probably like that. I never really thought about. I was like, yeah, what if uh, they do kill all the vampires? What then? And because, yeah, I don't think that Blade would really be able to function in normal society. <laughs> oh, well, maybe he's going to, you know, he's going to be a school for uh, the straight man. <laughs> he's just going to go out there. This is how you react when somebody makes wisecracks. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you say coochie coo. <laughs> <laughs> so, I thought, I mean. Oh, good. Yeah, I kept expecting there to be a part where Blade just like uh, punches Ryan Reynolds in the face or something, you know, something like that. Because you know, Ryan Reynolds <laughs> or King, you know, kept on like you know saying all these uh, one-liners to Blade, you know, and Blade just kind of looking at him, you know, like he had a lot of uh, self self uh, discipline there for not not punching, I think, or knocking King through a window or something. Yeah, you know, I kind of thought about that at a couple points in the film, and he just, yeah, I think if I was in Blade's position, I probably would have socked him at least once or twice uh, in different situations. Not so much here, because he's in the bed, uh, you know, he's got his hole in his uh, arm there, and he's, you know, recovering from everything, but at the same time, it's like, come on, dude, can't you be serious for like five fucking minutes? Like, this is... This is seriously like the start of his Deadpool character and he, how how he portrays Deadpool now is basically his entire like comedy delivering lineup that he's ever done in anything he's ever done. 
Yeah, I mean, Ryan Reynolds, he plays the same character in every movie that he's done. <laughs> yeah. But some of the best ones that he's... I, I would put this role probably in one of the best roles that he's done uh, behind, of course, Deadpool, and then also Waiting. Uh, I freaking love him in that movie. Uh, but again, it's a similar, snarky, real quip uh, character that you've got here, and he really hasn't changed much over the years. So Abigail, she figures out, or she finds out, that there's something that's going on uh, at some type of, like, storage facility out in, in, I don't know, it seems like it's the forest. Like, you never know exactly where it is. All we know is, hey, there's this place from wherever we're going, and we're just, here's the set piece location that we're going to go to next, and which happens to be outside of, like, a barn. And that's where we see the police captain, and he comes up and he starts talking to the vampire uh, that's there. She tells him they've got a problem. And Abigail and Blade show up. And that probably gives me the my second favorite line that Blade delivers in this film. Now, this is... I normally don't do these, like, little short little things, but I find this fucking hilarious. Now, what's behind door number one? Can't tell you. They'll the kill me. Kill you, motherfucker! I'll kill you! I'll just enjoy it better. <laughs> it's the second part of that. Not just the, motherfucker, I'll kill you! It's, I'll enjoy it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. It's like, yeah, uh, you think, yeah, the guy was worried about the vampires killing them. It's like, you got Blade right there. <laughs> well, it's like what you said earlier in the, the thing, like with all the humans that were willing to, like, sacrifice themselves and the other vampires to frame Blade. Here's this guy here. Oh, I'm so worried about them killing. And who's that right in front of you? Like, what do you think he's going to do? Yeah. So they, they go into the warehouse and that's where you see lines and lines. And I like the, uh, like the setup that they did. Now I would love to know if this is like just a model that they kind of shot down, but they had to have built something and it's lines of people in these like plastic, uh, almost like they're like giant IVs, right? But the blood is what's being drained from every one of them. All these people are being kept alive. And basically this is like a a blood farm for the vampires. So this way, and, and this is something like Dracula said that they've lost their way because they decided that it was just too time-consuming to go and hunt people. So here we have this facility where we're just draining blood from everybody, and we keep these guys in a comatose space. But just the look of the warehouse was still absolutely amazing. Like, it held up so well. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the, uh, yeah, the effect of the people in those bags, and um, yeah, it, it was really cool again. I mean, yeah. this movie does have some cool effects, you know, even out outside of the CGI stuff. Yeah, it's got some really cool set pieces and and effects that are in it. When they, they do it, and I wish films would be like this more nowadays, where you have these really cool, like, practical effects that they do. And, like, why can't we, I mean, I know that practical effects cost a lot more than CG effects, but to see this, and this is makes the film actually still hold up today, when you see something so grandiose, uh, and it still looks really good, even when they get up close to all the bags, you can tell that there's actually either models or they had maybe an actor in there just for a little bit, and it looks still so realistic without much that was really done with the, the little set piece here. So after they figure out what, what is going on, they talk to the uh, police chief again, and he kind of explains, like we did, uh, exactly what this is. Vampires decided that hunting humans on a piecemeal basis was too inefficient. 
Why kill your prey when you can keep them alive? Under optimal conditions, a donor can generate anywhere from 50 to 100 pints of blood. Productive. Where do you get all these people? They got processing centers in every major city. At any given time, there's what? Two, three million homeless wandering around America? They just pull them in off the streets. Nobody cares about them. We're doing this country a service, really. Empire Final Solution. Are they aware? Do they feel anything? They're in a chemical-induced coma. They're brain dead. Look at this. This is the future you want. What you think? They have a place for you in their future. We don't have a choice. They're going to win. Can't you see that? Just come back. There's nothing stopping them now. It's me. Go. You got 20 seconds. 20. Use it. All right. Now I'm going to have to do that as well. <laughs> so... We'll just continue on from here. Um, so that is like, I like the end of that scene because uh, when he basically says, 20, you've got 20 seconds, and then he just fucking shoots him anyway. Like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny. Uh, I, my question was, okay, what what about that uh, woman working at the, like the computer technician there? working she was just i don't know if she was a familiar or what but it's like uh were the vampires gonna kill her now for letting them shut down the system or did she run i don't know why i'm I'm so worried about her but it seems like in every other situation like every person is like either killed or whatever and she's like part of this but they're not blade doesn't really talk to her i mean he tells her to shut down the system but that's about it yeah, well, you don't even know what she is. Is she a vampire? Is she just a human that's basically being forced to work there? He's killed every other familiar. And yet he leaves her to there to basically shut it down and maybe wait for whatever it is going to be that's going to happen to her. Like, is it, you know, oh, well, you're going to get killed anyway, so instead of me killing you, I'm going to let the vampires do it? Yeah, it's probably not a big deal, but what I just it's just something that stuck in my brain when I watched this movie. Yeah, it really makes no sense why he just doesn't do anything to her and he lets her go other than force her to shut down everything and actually kill all the people. And I guess that's kind of also like a mercy killing at the same time, right? Because they're basically brain dead as it is, so they're not functioning. They're just basically a, a food bank for vampires. Right. So from here we go back and now Dracula is attacking the base of the Night Stalkers and he... We see Patton Oswald finally make his basket uh, against the driver that we met early in the film. Two characters <laughs> that have no fucking reason to be in this film, to be honest with you, other than to have a couple of lines of dialogue. One, when he picks up the guys. Two, when Patton explains all the weapons that he's been, like, creating for everybody. And so Dracula kind of goes on a killing spree, kills everybody, um, and then you think that he kills King but you never really see anything happen to him. 
And then he goes after the doctor that's created the virus. And she, <laughs> the one scene that I, I don't get, she's acting like, you know, well, of course she's acting that she's blind. But, like, she goes to point the gun at him. And she does. And then all of a sudden, she turns away. Like, she has a feeling that he's in another spot where, of course, he's not even there. Like, I don't know if Dracula made her think that he had moved over to that direction, or if he, you know, actually, or, or she felt like something had moved over there. Yeah, and it seems like she kind of gives up because she lowers the gun and just kind of like, it just stands there like it's like she's going to start crying or something. It's like, I don't know. I guess I would have expected her to put up a little more of a fight. Yeah, I thought she would. And ultimately, we also see Dracula go after the little girl as well. And he has that weird effect where, like, his fingers start growing. Because she's hiding underneath the thing like she's in fucking Aliens. And, you know, Dracula comes mostly out at night. Well, mostly. Uh, but in this <laughs> film, he walks during the day as well. And so, it's it's an interesting effect. I don't know if I necessarily liked it. But I think that it was the least jarring out of all the effects because it was like a slow grow as his hand stretched out to try to reach her. Yeah, it reminded me of um, an X-Files episode, uh, the stretchy guy monster. Okay. He, yes. There's a, there's a, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a episode where there's a guy, he's like a mutant and he can like stretch and like squeeze through small spaces. So that's okay. what that reminded me of. It, no, I I do remember that episode. It's been a really long time since I've seen most of the X-Files stuff. Of course, he could also be emulating Stretch Armstrong as well. With his little, like, gels inside of his wrists or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we see that, uh, you know, Blade and Abigail come back to the, the hideout. And something is definitely wrong uh, of what's going on there. And they notice that everybody is either killed or gone. Uh, Abigail, and were you able to make out what was written on, uh, so before she finds the doctor, what was written on the, like, curtains that were there? Yeah, let's see here. It was, uh, something about, uh, uh let's see if I had it written down here. Okay, here it's, it says, uh, Immortality will come to such as are fit for it. And it's actually a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, the full quote reads, Immortality will come to such as are fit for it. And he who would be a great soul in the future must be a great soul now. So there you go. Okay. See, I thought you would have something more than me for that scene. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I was trying to really kind of place it. And even in hearing the full quote, I'm still like a little maybe blurry on why you would put that there. Other than Dracula is the one that's choosing it, because he's choosing to kill somebody, um, and not necessarily make her uh, mortal. Or my thought originally kind of seeing that was maybe he's turning her into a vampire, uh, at the same time. And th because then you have this weird scene with Blade, because she grabs the doctor, Abigail does, and like holds her and is crying. And then you have Blade looking on top of her, and he basically goes, 
use it. Use it. And I was trying to figure out what exactly either use the pain to like get your revenge or to, to make you stronger. That's what I assumed it was. Or if he had done the thing where he had turned her into a vampire, use it as in you need to kill her. And that's the only thing that's going to save her. Because even if she was dead at this scene, it didn't feel like she was. It felt like she was because she was hanging up kind of in a Jesus pose uh, up on wires. And I thought she was still breathing. At least it looked like she was still moving. If she was supposed to be dead, then the actress didn't quite portray her as dead. But if she was supposed to be like changed or still kind of alive, then, you know, I could get that kind of, you know, either way I kind of get it. But I thought it had more of a like, oh, she's going to turn type thing. So you need to use that emotion, but you need to make sure she doesn't turn full. Yeah, I I had that same thought. I was like, okay, it looked like he, like, that would have really uh, added insult to injury if he, like, turned one of Abigail's friends into a vampire. Um, but then I thought, well, maybe he thought she was worthy because she was blind or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so, but I think when he's saying use it, like I was reading somewhere uh, online, when he's saying use it, he's telling her, referring to the Daystar uh virus that they developed like he's telling her you need to like use that use like now now she's like now i guess abigail should be motivated to actually use that virus now that her all of her friends are dead maybe i don't know like you shouldn't hold anything back because you you know not saying that you don't have anything anymore but you have a way to get revenge for those that were killed and this is what and what it is is getting rid of all the vampires entirely Yep. So that that is definitely an interesting take uh, on that. If that is actually true, that maybe should have been portrayed a little more <laughs> within yeah. the film itself. So from here we go, and we're kind of running now into the final act of the film. We've got, you know, you have your setup, and then you have your middle where Dracula says, and now it's all about going and actually deploying the Daystar virus against Dracula. We find out that King is actually alive, and he's being tortured by the other vampires, as well as a vampire Pomeranian. What the fuck? What the fuck? His name's Pac-Man. We've been porting the vampire gene into other species. Experimenting. You made a goddamn vampire Pomeranian? Yes. <laughs> Precious in me. Well, that depends who you ask, because clearly this dog has a bigger dick than you. And when the fuck did you see my dick, fuckface? Ow! I was talking to her! And of course, that is Parker Posey that he's pointing at in the distance. Um, I don't know if I ever wanted to hear, uh, there's two things I think I did not want to hear, uh, Triple H ever say in a movie. And I didn't bring in one of the audio specifically, uh, the one where he says, I've been ass raped, uh, earlier on in the film. And here, uh, how have you ever seen my dick? Like, honestly, <laughs> if people have seen you wrestle, they've probably seen your dick, at least one <laughs> or another, right? Uh, but the, the whole Pomeranian, at least, you know, it wasn't like a Bijan Frise or something like that. It was something like all, 
cutesy. And I thought that the, the vampire effect on it was kind of cool. It looked kind of off, but this is one of the few CGI effects that actually they worked on. And it was kind of odd that it happened to be on the dog. Like, this is the one that we have to get right. <laughs> we have to get the vampire dog perfectly right or else we're going to it's just not worth it. Yeah, I thought that was a funny scene too. Just you know, Pomeranian, Pomeranian, like the most non-threatening dog breed you could think of, and then they made it into one of these like predator mouth aliens or vampires. I thought that was funny. It was kind of cool too. Well, it was not necessarily cool, but funny when he grabbed the dog and then he gave it a kiss, and like it still <laughs> did the predator mouth type thing before it actually like gave like it was. That's how it was going to lick his face was with the little predator mouth thing. Yeah, and then there's a lot of talk about penis envy for the next scene that I completely cut out because I was like again why does this need to be in here like there's all this talk and she even gets in on it she's like because I'm envious uh, you know we need to stop all this dick talk I'm like okay well yeah that's good at least you're stopping it uh, because this film has gone way too far already (laughs) so we go back over to Blade and uh Abigail, and they've basically been approached by another one of the cells. So I guess the whole cell thing actually is true because in the beginning, I kind of felt like they said, Oh, there's cells of us all over the place, but we only see these guys. So I felt like, Oh, well, this is the only group that there possibly is. And then somebody actually does show up and they explained that they have the, um, you know, the, the virus basically ready and they don't know what it's going to do to Blade in one last video message from the one who created it. If you're watching this, I'm already dead. Zoe's alive. I want you to promise me that you'll take care of her, okay? I've been reading her the Oz books every night. We just started reading the Emerald City of Oz. You know, the one with the known king. I think I've managed to cultivate a workable strain of the Daystar virus. As a precaution, I transmitted the genetic sequence to Calder in case our main stock was destroyed. In order for it to achieve maximum lethality, you're going to need to interfuse it with Drake's blood. Now, if it works, every vampire in the immediate vicinity should die almost instantly. There's one other thing. Blade, you need to know that there's a chance the virus could destroy you too. Because you're a hybrid, I'm not sure if your immune system will be able to tolerate it. I'm sorry. We just didn't have enough time to properly test it. So there is actually one thing that I forgot before we go into this, uh, which we'll talk. This actually scene actually happens after the other thing. And boy, did do I feel embarrassed. <laughs> but here, at least what they're talking about is, you know, because it's going to affect all vampires, they don't know what exactly is going to do to the half vampires and whether or not Blade. So that kind of answers your question of what happens if they do kill all the vampires? Well, if it kills Blade, then he's got nothing to do either. He's not going to open up his, you know, Blade gym. He's not going to open his Blade daycare. Nothing's going to happen after this. He's just going to be dead. Now, did you interpret this as saying that with this virus, it would wipe out all the vampires, like, everywhere? Yes, that was my interpretation, and that was something we're going to talk about at the end of the movie, because right. something happens differently than what I intended. I, the whole thing was, I thought it creates an airborne virus. You put it into Dracula, and then it's going to kill the vampires. Like, we're eradicating vampires. That's that's exactly what this is going to do. 
So if this doesn't do what it's going to do, then I guess Blade still has a job. But if it doesn't, you know, well, then what? It's it's never nothing in this movie is clearly defined. Everything they say that's going to do something, but they never exactly say what exactly it's going to happen or how they're going to do something. So what I forgot to talk about is probably the best scene that Parker Posey does in the film. And this is after all the talk about the Pomeranian and all this other stuff. And it's talking about basically what she's going to do to King. Basically, it's like kind of torturing him and them having their little kind of... You, you learn a little more about the history between the two of them, why he doesn't like her, uh, as well as how she's going to torture him uh, and exactly turn him back into a familiar. Now, this is one of the probably the longest clips that we have uh, for this review, and uh, but I still think that it's worth kind of listening to. Tell us about Blade King. What's his weapon he's been planning? I can tell you two things. Your hairdo is ridiculous. Two, I ate a lot of garlic, and I just farted. Silent but deadly. Spit it out, you fucking fruitcake! All right! Fuck, I'll tell you about the weapon! It's a new flavor crystal formula. Twice the chocolatey goodness, half the calories, plus it helps prevent tooth to get there. You're brave, King. I'll give you that. But underneath all that swagger, I know fear. What would hurt you more than anything else? <laughs> You don't want to go back to being one of us, do you? I'm going to bite you again, Kate. I'm going to leave you here while you turn. I'm going to watch you day after day as the thirst keeps building and building. So this is part of that, like what you were talking about earlier, asking about him, whether or not he was a vampire. And this kind of makes him seem like he was a vampire before and now he's not anymore. But it also seems like he, you know, he was her suck toy at the same time. And so like this is where it's again, this is confusing. Which one was it? Like here, it sounds like she's obviously going to turn him into a vampire. What he hates the most. And then he's going to feed the girl to him and basically torture him that way. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of conflicting type details in this movie. You're not sure where, you're just not sure what they really meant to do in it. So jumping back into everything, we see the training montage. Well, I don't know if it's a training montage or if it's just like 
it's a get prepared montage, right? Blade doesn't do shit. <laughs> He just, he gets his blade together. He gets his sunglasses to make sure he looks hardcore, right? Cause he can't go anywhere without his fucking sunglasses. Um, and she is like, now, what in this terms is FPS? Like I was looking at, cause she's taking the bow and I would think about it's how many pounds that she's shooting at, right? Like something along those lines. Like at what rate is she finally firing the arrow? But I don't know what FPS means in terms of measuring the velocity of the arrow as it's being shot at. Like I'm just thinking frames per second, but that can't be right. Yeah, that 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 would be my go-to. Um, like you would think, you know, it seemed like she was measuring the airspeed of it because it seemed like it was measuring. I don't know. Yeah, but then maybe it was also like, I don't know, like in, impact, like the. Uh, impact uh measurement of you know as it hits the as the arrow hits the target i don't know but. yeah and and this uh, this is, becomes one of my bigger gripes for uh, just shortly in the movie uh and one of my biggest gripes of the whole thing because uh and we'll get into it and that and that's that's probably like the biggest thing that i've got is her preparing all this time and then what actually happens when she gets into the fight for the film like the film's big finale so we cut back over and this is where we get the message that the cavalry is going to be coming in and probably uh one of the well i mean i like king's character entirely but i like this kind of speech that he puts together at the end of the film before blade and abigail actually break through and the comedy is also kind of there with at the reaction of what happens at the end so now the cavalry has arrived Give me a shot, you did that. Why? Nobody's coming for you, King Shit. Sure they are. See, one of the things you fuckheads need to know about us Night Stalkers is that when you join our club, you get all sorts of groovy little door prizes. And one of them is this nifty little tracking note surgically implanted in your body. <laughs> Oh, shit. See, when one of us goes missing, the others, they just dial up the satellite, which is in space. And then presto, instant cavalry. You like that, huh? <laughs> Go fuck your sister. Okay, King. Where is this tracking node of yours? It's in my left ass cheek. Fine. It's in my right ass cheek. Okay, I'm sick. Okay, seriously now. It's in the meat of my butt, just below the Hello Kitty tattoo. Seriously, just pull down my tidy whities and see for yourself. Enough! It's not funny anymore. No, it's not, you horse-humping bitch. But it will be a few seconds from now. Huh? You see that tickle that you're feeling in the back of your throat right now? That's atomized colloidal silver. It's being pumped through the building's air conditioning system, you cock-juggling thunder cunt! Which means the fat lady should be singing right about now.
<laughs> this is awkward. So there's the big delay before, of course, Blade and Abigail like bust in and start beating everybody up. Well, Blade first bust in and start killing fools. Um, that whole setup, every time I hear Thunder Cunt, I, I just think that it needs to be set to ACDC. You know, instead of Thunderstruck, <laughs> we've got Thundercunt. Um, and that's a very awkward word to be putting in there. And again, it seems like, okay, we're going to put these like harsh swear words to make sure that we keep that R rating uh, in here entirely. Um, but Blade does come through and they start fighting. And uh, Abigail comes and rescues him. Uh, it's hilarious when he first comes in because he starts going straight after Dracula. And King just looks up at him like, what about me? You're just going to leave me fucking stranded here, like attached to the thing. But so this is where my biggest problem in the film, like, like there's a lot of things, but when it comes to this part, because again, it's just like you said, it's vampire fodder. Like you can tell who the vampire is going to be killed, who's going to be killed where. I think her brother gets killed though right away, doesn't he? Um. No, he, he gets killed when he's fighting Dracula. That's when he dies. That's right, because he, he is up on the catwalk, and it's like he's going to shoot Blade while he's fighting with Drake. But then Abigail shoots him with an arrow and, while he's like aiming at Blade. And then he, he dies that way. So the big yeah. known vampires, they all get their own like individual kills, pretty much. So you, you know now that Abigail, she's the one that kills the brother. Um, and then Triple H's character, he's... Ryan Reynolds only gets to fight the dogs and fight uh, Triple H's character in a pretty well choreographed scene, I have to say. Like, it's it's very entertaining, and you do get to feel the weight of Triple H's, like, muscle mass while he's fighting Ryan Reynolds. But when they're fighting all the fodder, and it's only Abigail and Blade that fight the fodder, but Blade is just killing, like, fuckers left and right. He is fucking slaughtering all the vampires possible. Just shooting this guy, throwing a knife in this guy. He's got his cool little fucking blade that he throws around and makes a loop like a boomerang, killing all these vampires. He's got all these like crazy kills. He's getting the most. What does Abigail get? She gets four fucking guys the entire time and she struggles against every single one that she fights. She has to do some type of like kung fu the entire time. And meanwhile, we, we cut away, we were at her and she's kung fuing the guy. And then we go to the next, we go back to Blade and Blade's killed seven dudes. <laughs> then we go back to her and she's still struggling with the same guy. And it just drives me fucking batty. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue that Blade has the super strength of a vampire. I don't know. So, and Abigail is just a normal human. So maybe that's, maybe that could be an explanation. It could be. I just felt like there was something that they were trying to showcase with, with Abigail that they weren't with Blade, or the fact that, you know, uh, that she is a lot more limber than Wesley Snipes is. And Wesley Snipes, all of his, like, actions gotta happen between the showdown between him and, and Drake, or Dracula, or whatever you wanna call him, uh, for this film. So, he finally does meet up with Dracula, and, they have their quick confrontation dialogue before they actually fight. Blade. Ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. Motherfucker. I like that. 
So now you have the big showdown between him and Blade, and it's actually pretty well done. So is this actually the first time that Dracula has heard the word motherfucker? It sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he even reuses it when he goes to, like, he thinks he's going to get the killing blow on, Bl- on Blade, and he's all, are you ready to die, motherfucker? <laughs> it's like this little kid that's learned their first cuss word and so they just use it all the time <laughs> exactly it's like when the first time i learned how to say well not learned how to say but i said shit i remember my sister and i were in the backyard just screaming it at the top of our lungs you know until my parents were like you guys can't do that fucking thing and that's basically <laughs> what dracula is doing here he just he learned his first word of curse and now he's just oh i'm gonna try to use it and be badass like blade you know <laughs> But they fight, uh, Dracula transforms into his predator form, cause that's not even his final form yet. Um, and he does get the upper hand on Blade. He knocks away his sword, Blade knocks away his sword, he turns all predator Dracula, knocks him to the ground, and then Abigail, she readies the arrow that has the dark sky mist, uh, that's supposed to be mixing with his blood and killing all the vampires. Meanwhile, we have, uh, you know, King and uh, Triple H's character, uh, they get into a really cool fight where we get to see all the wrestling moves that Triple H has ever done in his wrestling career up to that point on Ryan Reynolds. Like, he literally slams him, he picks him up, he gives him, like, a clothesline, it seems, at one time. Uh, but he, the way that he dies uh, is relatively entertaining as well. Especially when his body, after it's disintegrated the skeleton, it just kind of gets sliced through the opening grates uh, on the wall. I think the effects that that all kind of happen within there, they're all pretty good. Even the effects when Dracula is, you know, it's obvious when he's a CG, he's CG Dracula versus when he's real Dracula because CG Dracula does the predator face type thing, but then real Dracula practical effects, it's just the makeup and you can see him grinning with a smile. So from there. We, you know, we see Abigail fire the arrow. She misses, uh, but the stuff drops down. She gets ready to fire a second one, uh, and she does, which distracts Dracula long enough for Blade to stick the virus into Dracula. And then as he's dying, we hear his final speech of the film. Funny, isn't it? All this time, my people were trying to create a new kind of vampire. When one... I'll re-exist. I don't need to survive. The future of our race rests with you. You fought with honor. I respect that. Allow me a parting gift. But remember this. Sooner or later, the thirst always wins. So... I want your kind of thoughts on this because he's kind of saying that he is, if if the vampires have an evolutionary like scale, he's the next part of their evolution. I mean, I would agree if Blade was going to go on to make more vampires, but that's kind of like a the that's against what he's all about. He's a he's about ending vampires. So, I mean, he yeah, he's he may be the next step of evolution for the vampires but he would be the last step as well (laughs) now is this also because he is like the 
because he is a human and a vampire, like he's not a vampire like made naturally. He's <laughs> a vampire is made naturally, right? It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous to say, but he's not like a normal made vampire. He wasn't bitten by anybody and then transformed into one. He's somehow a vampire. Now, was his mom was human and his dad was a vampire. So his vampire stuff, his goo, actually worked and got a human pregnant. You know, I'm trying to remember now how that all happened. Now was, or was uh, she I was pregnant thinking and got turned. Yeah, I was thinking that she was already pregnant, and got turned, and so that affected the fetus, and that's how Blade was like a hybrid. Um, so yeah, I guess that's why he's like the next step of evolution because he can't get killed by sunlight. Uh, you know, he's like stronger than a normal vampire, I guess. So he would be their next phase of evolution. So, yeah, it's it's just kind of, an, you, you know, you bring up a really good point with the fact that he has always hated the vampire self. You know, he's a self-hating vampire is what he is. Uh, and he's always gone out there and killed the other vampires that are out there. So if he is the next step in this, why would he, why would he want to progenerate like that, uh, that strain of his? Why would he want to create more half-human, half-vampire hybrids if he already is hiding the thirst? And, of course, Dracula says the thirst is never going to go away. And eventually, it's going to catch up to you. That, that must be what Drake is thinking. Uh, he he knows that, the like he said, the thirst is always going to win out in the end. So he thinks that some someday Blade will eventually bite somebody else and turn somebody else into like a hybrid or what the next phase of vampires, whatever, whatever that is. Which makes the most sense if that's what his dying words actually mean. But we know the way this film is written and we can't necessarily say that it's actually going to be that. So the, the virus starts to spread and this is where, well, we'll, maybe we'll mention that in a second, but we see the other vampires. They all almost immediately get affected by it. Uh, Parker Posey, she's cornered uh, King, and she's basically ready to kill him, but all of a sudden she gets... This is how she meets her end, is by the virus itself. And every all the vampires in the place, they all start, like, kind of disintegrating and melting, uh, and eventually the sunlight comes in, and I guess, like, I... I guess that was going to happen at some point, like, the, the windows are wide open, and the, like, they don't have shades or anything like that to protect them from the sun... Because that's how it seems like she dies. It's just like she's there, then all of a sudden the sun, and she gets fried. Uh, the FBI comes in to collect the bodies. They see both Blades. Um, well, both Blades and Drax are in the same room. Uh, we see that King and Abigail come to the room, and then they leave. Uh, and then that's where we go back. We go into the hospital, and we get one last overview uh, voiceover from Ryan Reynolds' King. And we learned what the final gift was from Dracula. And we get the credits, and we're done with Blade. Drake's final gift? Let's just say the FBI got their body. Just wasn't the one they were banking on. Blade was still out there somewhere, doing what he did best. He was a weapon. 
His life is a war. And everybody knows the war never ends. So that was Blade Trinity. And like we said before, things are said that all of a sudden don't happen. And the virus was meant to eradicate supposedly all vampires. But yet Blade, he's one, he still existed, so he's able to withstand whatever it was, so whatever they're worrying about. Okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But now he's still out hunting vampires? I thought the virus is supposed to kill everything. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking too. That, um, yeah. But then listening to that replay, uh, where Summerfield is talking, telling them about the the Daystar virus, it's like it'll kill all the vampires in the immediate vicinity, and so it's like, oh, okay, so maybe it doesn't kill all the vampires; it just kills the ones nearby. But the way that they were talking about this thing, it was like it was the end all be all. It was like the the thing to wipe out all the vampires, you know? And they required his blood in order to make it work right at the same time. So now that he's been, basically he was stabbed and it actually killed him too. So like, does that mean that maybe there's a chance they have to go back and get Dracula's blood and that's what they can use from now on to go kill any vampire that they want? It it doesn't make any sense. Uh, But it does make sense if it's just the ones in the vicinity, like you said, but other than why not just be like, well, this is a thing that we know that's going to kill Dracula. And at the same time, it's going to, you know, do this. And you needed his blood. You needed pure blood for it to work properly. And you only have one chance. And that's Dracula or Drake or whatever the fuck his name he wants to be. The artist formerly known <laughs> as Dracula. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He's fucking going to have some symbol or something as his name at some point. But so, I mean, Coming back to this film, it's been a while since I've seen this. It's probably been, I'd say it's been about 10 years since I've seen this film last. Um, even though, like, I had gripes about the film, I still really enjoyed it. I thought it was, a, like you said, it's a fun film. It's not meant to be taken seriously. If you want a serious blade, you go to one of the first two films. But this one is very lighthearted. It has a lot of humor in it. Um, it's like they try to do something completely and throw it on its, uh, you know, on its head for a different type of release. And maybe that's why a lot of people didn't like it. I don't see how they've rehashed some things with it, but, uh, I just, I felt like this was a, for a serious film franchise like Blade had become, this was a, f- a breath of fresh air for it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this is kind of like a fresh not a fresh, it was, uh, 
it was an interesting idea. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of like the next, I don't know. It was just like a, the next step to, uh, kind of for them to continue on the, the story of blade. And, um, yeah, they definitely incorporate a lot of the things that we've seen from the first two movies in this one. Um, is I think even in the, uh, the very first movie, they talk about the, the vampire's final solution where they, the blood farms and stuff like that. Um, and then, so you get that in this movie. And also in the same movie, you have Vampire Reavers and, and Blade Trinity, the dogs with the Reavers. Um, so yeah, you definitely get some stuff rehashed for the first two movies, but it's definitely like, uh, a movie that stands on its own. It has a really great sense of humor uh, with Ryan Reynolds in there. So, I mean, it's a great addition to the franchise. I'd say, you know, if you have not seen it, if you're kind of like putting it off, like, oh, it's kind of stupid. Um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a hot word flick, but that's still no excuse to not go out and try to track this down and find it and watch it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that if you haven't, you didn't really think about giving it a chance, I would say do it. Um, you know, maybe you thought that people, they said, oh, well, it's just a little too campy. I think it perfectly fits it in there. I think that, you know, it, my problem with the Blade movies have always actually just been uh, Wesley Snipes. Like, he's just so stiff in the role. But, you know what, it comes to fruition in this one because I really like that type of character when you have such a snarky comedic side to it. And honestly... Uh, the character of Abigail kind of takes the role from Blade in the first two. You know, he kind of evolves a little bit, not a whole lot, but she's very similar to what he is. Um, but you don't get, I, I feel like maybe they didn't need to kill Whistler off, um, or he could have been in it longer than he actually was. Uh, but I know that you want to shake some things up within the world. So, uh, as always, we're going to go through uh, our grading system for this podcast. So, uh, the gore factor of the film, what would you rate it as? Um, you know, when I think about it, there wasn't a, there, was, there really wasn't a ton of gore. I think it was just because, like, any time they killed a vampire, they just, like, turned to ash. They, like, they did that little magnesium flare thing and mm-hmm. just turned to ash. There was not a lot of, like, blood as far as the vampires went. I mean, so on a gore, I would say maybe, what, like two out of five. Yeah, I'd probably put it more in like the three out of five because there's a uh, there's the scene where the human gets the stake through and you see the effects that are there. Uh, the one vampire gets his head ripped off. Um, there's a couple of other little small things here, and even some of the the deaths with the vampires, even though a lot of them kind of flash off. Um, some of them looked pretty good and were a little bit longer sustained. Um, but you know, I, I would think maybe we split the difference and say it's like a two point five out of five for the film. I, it definitely doesn't earn the R rating from the gore. Let's say that, uh, the crap factor of this film. So that's how, you know, even though you may have really enjoyed it, what was, you know, how terrible were parts of the film? I would say this one on a crap factor gets probably four out of five. (laughs) And I completely agree with you. And for me, it's, Primarily the dialogue, um, and 
It's some of the scenes are kind of useless that are in there as well. Some of the characters, like we didn't need to have so many. It would have been kind of neat for them to just be kind of a small ragtag bunch. That's only like the three people that really matter. The doctor that creates the virus, Abigail and King, like, or in the girl, if you really want to, even the daughter is completely useless in this film. Like she's there for a couple and only to get kidnapped towards the end of the movie. Even at the end, there isn't resolution with her. We know that she was hanging around with Dracula, and Dracula said that angels don't exist, but where the fuck did she go? <laughs> she just disappeared. So, uh, yeah. and then lastly, the fun factor of this movie. How much fun did you have while watching this movie? Oh, five out of five. I had a blast with it. So I would give it a four out of five, because there were, like I said, a couple things that got to me, but I still had a blast watching this movie overall. So if you had to give it an overall scale... Three out of five, whatever you'd want to call it. Uh, what would you say it would be? Um, just so for me personally, I would probably give it a. <laughs> I give it a four out of five, just because I, I like this movie a lot. And I think I'm gonna go a little bit lower for you. I'm gonna give it a three out of five shit kicking vampire dogs. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that that is it uh, for Blade now. Since you are the first starter of the, the October month, I thank you for coming on. Uh, but we are going to have other guests. And next time, uh, your co-host on the Black Cat Shadow podcast, and also the host of Dave's Pop Culture podcast, Phantom Dark Dave, he's going to come on with me. And this is a film that I, I, I liked when I was a kid. I saw it a couple years ago. Did not like it as much. But, uh, you know, since he said no Marvel... I've got to show uh, everybody we're going to be watching Spawn. It's time. Imagine a substance with the power to destroy humanity. Imagine a creature insane enough to use it. Imagine a hero on the verge of creation. From flesh to steel. You must visualize your objective. From blood to blade. Don't get cocky. You have a lot more to learn. From man to spawn. I see you. Harvested the ultimate weapon. Makes the Ebola virus look like a skin rash. Compared to freaking laces, I say destroy the cosmos, ask questions later. Who are you? This is just what they want. You're playing their game. To now play dirty. You've been violated, girly man. You should have Now stay sharp. The night is young. This summer, evil has a new enemy. Justice has a new weapon. And the world has a new hero. Spawn. So, next episode will be Spawn. Now, that is not really... It used to be available on Netflix. It's no longer available on Netflix. It sucks. Um, but you should be able to find out there's something you can rent it on, of course, Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, 
Um, there are ways that you can watch on YouTube as well that you don't have to rent, but I'm not going to tell you how to do that. But what you should do is if you have HBO Go uh, or you have Amazon Prime, you can watch the Spawn, the animated series. That is fucking fantastic. I think everybody should watch. It's only three seasons long, and I think each season is like ten episodes, whatever HBO's episodes are. But Spawn is definitely worth a watch. Kind of like this film, I think that you could... Uh, you don't necessarily need to watch it if you just decided to listen to this podcast. Why didn't give any uh, warnings ahead? But Spawn, I feel like it's kind of one of those... For just John Leguizamo alone, I think that maybe you should take a look at that film. Yeah, I'm assuming that you've seen Spawn before. Um, yeah, I saw it back in the theater you know, in the late 90s when it first came out. Uh, I haven't watched it since. Yeah, it's been, um, I think a couple years ago, I decided to sit down and watch it because I saw that it was on Netflix. And I was like, oh, let's watch Spawn. And I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have watched Spawn. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, thank you so much, Andy, for joining me to do Blade. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you go ahead and plug what you've got coming up? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, I I was uh, really uh, happy that you invited me to come on your show today. Um, yeah, so uh, my show is a Black Cat Shadow podcast, and um, so for the month of October, we are going to be reviewing Halloween themed movies. Uh, now we're not going to be reviewing the Halloween franchise, but it's just going to be. Movies that are set at Halloween or movies that have that Halloween feel to it. So, um, I think, you know, for, that's what we're going to do for the, the month. We're also going to be taking part in the second, uh, Universal Monster series that, uh, Dave has put together. Uh, well, me and Dave, uh, in October will be doing, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. So, which is the sequel to the Wolfman. So, uh, that would be really cool. So yeah, just, uh, stay tuned for that. It's always funny to me that uh, for some reason in the back of my mind, I always forget that the Frankenstein versus the Wolfman is technically the sequel for the Wolfman like movie series from Universal. Uh, and it's, it is a fantastic film and it's, I feel like this time I've got to watch a lot more of the films, like going through everybody's podcast. I'm like, man, maybe I should go back and watch this. And then like, I know Patrick, he ended up buying the whole like, universal series like box set because of the same reason like i gotta go back and watch these so um i'll be joining that as well where i'll be doing revenge of the creature um and that should be fun uh, it's been a while since i've seen that one i, I watch creature from the black lagoon a lot more than i've seen that and i know there's a third one as well which i think i've only seen once or twice before um and so it'd be interesting if we end up going into a uh you know a threequel i guess you can say uh, to look at that one as well. But uh, thank you again for coming on. It, it's been a blast. I really appreciate it. Um, and as always, uh, with our podcast, you can always find this podcast on things like Facebook. Oh, do you have your socials as well? Because I know your Twitter, at Black Cat Shadow, right? Yeah, and then uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Horror Amino. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where we try to upload any as much episodes as we can. Um, yeah, so those are all of our social media type stuff. Um, you, you know, as far as where you can listen to the shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, basically anywhere that 
you get podcasts, you'll probably find the Black Cat Shadow. And then you can always find this one on basically all the same platforms as his. And I thank you guys for listening. Next time, don't forget, check out Spawn, and uh, we'll have our guest, Phantom Dark Dave. Thanks again, Andy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.